This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. As you know, it's a show that looks at all aspects surrounding our national football teams of all levels. And now you'd think with no games since November for both the men or women, you'd think there wouldn't be much to talk about. How wrong you'd be. Uh, If you'd heard the last episode, which was the first of 2022, you'll know that we've kicked off our World Cup series for the year. And I'll be speaking with various England fans across the year um, about their memories, their anecdotes of following England on the biggest stage. So make sure you stay subscribed. You won't miss an episode. Uh, And I must also say thank you very much for all the feedback and the kind comments on it. Now, here we are, 2022. Obviously, it is a World Cup year, and for the first time, it will be heading to the Arab world. Let me take you back to the 2nd of December, 2010, and then FIFA president, Set Blatter. And now we go to 222. May I ask again uh, the uh, public notary of Zurich to give me the envelope? Thank you. Shall I recall the... Candidates, Australia, Japan, Korea, Qatar, United States of America. The winner to organize the 222 FIFA World Cup is Qatar. It was the first time that two World Cup tournaments were announced at the same time. Russia 2018 and Qatar 2022. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember where I was when I found out. I was actually on my honeymoon on an overnight bus on my way to Laos, of all places. Uh, And my mum texted me with the results of it. And I remember thinking, Qatar, where's that? Why there? They don't have any football heritage, do they? And I imagine many others were feeling the same. And I don't think I'd be sounding silly if I was to say that I imagine there are still many people who still have those feelings. But by the time the tournament kicks off on the 21st of November this year, they will have had 4,372 days, or just under 12 years, to get everything in place. And throughout that time, it's received plenty of press coverage. And I don't think I'd be wrong in saying much of it has been a bit negative. But I've never been there. I don't know what it's like. But in that time, they've had the Asian Games of 2006. They have a regular cycling tour of the country. They have the annual Qatar Ladies Tennis Open. And most recently, the Arab Cup in November and December of last year, 2021. So it's not as if hosting international events will be anything new to them. So that Arab Cup, I want to mention that specifically because someone who went to that was Arsenal and England fan, Arjun Vara. And so who better to speak to about his experiences with Qatar? And I'm pleased to say he joins me to talk all about it. Arjun, hello there. Hello there, Russell. You well? Yeah, very good. I'm very good. Yeah, I mean, you went to the the Arab Cup over in Qatar. Um, we'll talk about that I- in a moment. But yeah, perhaps just just tell us a little bit about yourself. And you are one of the the World Cup fan leaders. So perhaps maybe just explain that to us how it came about. Yeah, no. So background, uh, university lecturer, in medical studies. But I love football, and uh, I love football and. This summer, I think mean, one of my friends in Block 109 told me about uh, an opportunity to volunteer for the committee that runs the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, it was the fan leader role. Um, I applied for it because I'm um, thinking, you know what, I haven't given 
given back in football for for a while because of my medical commitments, you know, given the pandemic and everything. And I just, um, you know, I got lucky and I, and they they picked me. Very fortunate. And I, to be a fan leader, I think, you know, there's been a lot of negativity in terms of uh, Qatar throughout, throughout the last 10 or so years when it comes to preparing it. And I thought to myself, you know what, if I can get this opportunity, it'd be great to to understand Qatar's side to, to the story because yeah. we hear it a lot from our side but if I had the opportunity to do it it'd be great and you know I've been working with them since since August of, wow uh, so last year so how many people do you know that are involved as fan leaders and what what does it involve what do you do what who have you met so um to be a fan leader it's basically a global fan network so it's fans all across the world from what the figures they've told us about, there's about 400 of us currently. And the role essentially involves us being, about, as we're all part of football communities, uh, really engaging with our football communities to promote football, and make it more inclusive, as well as promote, you know, the, the World Cup. As part of fan, fan leaders, you know, we want we want to educate um, our local regional slash national fan networks that we're in contact with to let them know what's happening at the moment with Qatar, how they're preparing for it. And they also want to get our insight into how they can make the World Cup better uh, and make it the most inclusive and <laughs> most exciting World Cup that's been hosted. Um, this involves, you know, monthly, well, two, three week, three to four week uh, weekly meetings. You know, it also involves us being involved in workshops where they would do trial runs on, for example, fan apps that they want to install for the World Cup. It also involves us having like workshops discussing accommodation and what fans actually want. And very recently, a very select few fans, about 45 of us, all got invited to go for a fan delegation trip to Qatar. Wow. Where absolutely amazing, amazing experience. And I was so grateful for it. We were essentially invited to Qatar, uh, sort of as like a, sort of like as a test run to see what uh, international fans were like during a football tournament. So we were invited to watch the FIFA Arab Cup, the opening game and the opening ceremony, being a part of the opening ceremony. And then alongside, outside of the football matches, we were given opportunities to go to the areas of Qatar and see what, what there was to do for, for fans if they wanted to come to Qatar and you know get our insight in terms of uh, what fans would like, what fans didn't like and how things can be improved. Absolutely amazing experience. Uh, yeah, came back last week. Yeah. Well, well, let's let's talk about that. Well, one thing actually, I just want to sort of ask: Is this the first time a fan leader initiative has been used? Was it used for Russia? Do we know? If I'm honest, I don't think it was. I wasn't, from my understanding, from when they when they spoke to us, they didn't they didn't mention any other fan leader. Um, initiative and they said this was I think for the for them anyway it was like yeah. you know this is probably we want to get fans involved and in, engaged in we really want to get fans incorporated other fan initiatives that I know of I'm not sure how long it's been around for is the FIFA fan movement which right. does similar initiatives I think they've invited fans to I think it was last year to the Club World Cup in Qatar yeah so I met a few few people there as well which is a really cool initiative. Um, yeah. Probably after the World Cup, I'll apply for that as well. <laughs> Why not? You've got, <laughs> got your foot in the door now. Um, okay, well, let's, let's start at the, the very beginning. How long does it take to get from England to Qatar? <laughs> I mean, because people so, are going to get on a plane and go, oh, how long am I going for? <laughs> that is, that's a good question. So it's not as long as I thought it would be, but um, direct flight from Heathrow. And from Gatwick, I believe, about six and a half to seven hours, depending on when you, you leave. And okay. Now, um, the fact that you were invited by FIFA, I mean, talking money is a, always an awkward question, but did you pay for your flight or, or how much would it have cost? Do you know? <laughs> oh, so um, to just to correct you there. So I wasn't it wasn't actually FIFA who paid for us. It was the Supreme Committee. That's that's what they're called. Um, the committee that who, how, which organised basically in charge of organising the World Cup in Qatar. They're the ones that have put into place the infrastructure for the metro, organising the infrastructure for like stadiums being built, so on and so forth. Right. But to answer your question, no, I didn't actually pay for it. <laughs> um, 
I mean, I don't, I don't know how much. I haven't even looked into cost of flights yet. Have you got a rough idea of how much a, a flight rough, would be? Rough idea. I think it was around five hundred pound, but I need to double check that myself. Actually, I think I was looking at it before I got invited. Before I knew I was going, I think I saw flights being roughly around 550, 600 for like October of next year. Mm. But in terms of my flight, uh, so in terms of being invited there, I didn't actually pay for for anything, if I'm honest. So I didn't pay for my flights to Qatar, didn't pay for my visa or my accommodation or even my trans- transport there, which was very, very fortunate. So I didn't pay for any of it, but, you know, I think it was more of a, like we said, it was more of a trial run in terms of how fans um, will experience being being in a football tournament in Qatar. And, you know, it was a very nice, it was, we've all been working hard. You know, I think um, since I've been a fan leader, I was involved in the Walk Tall banner, which, you know, yeah, yeah. we've sort of talked about before. Yeah. Um, you know, with Block 109, we're trying to get fans engaged in uh, other community aspects, so, you know. You know, it's very it's very good to be working with these guys. In terms of, I guess for fans, you know, it, I think flights are always going to be a tricky situation. And I think as part of my fan leader role is to kind of let the committee know. I mean, they said this to me when I was at the trip. Let them know what fan the fan perception of the prices and you know getting to guitar is, and they can always see if they can find ways to try and try and organize fan private groups whilst they're in Qatar. There is ways we can look into different sort of uh, package deals in terms of going to Qatar. They say they're very open to doing that. Okay, yeah. As we well know, the tournament has been moved for the first time from its regular summer position or our summer position of of June, July to November, December, which has been well documented because of obviously the the heat and the temperatures over in, in that part of the world. What was the temperature like, sort of November, December time? Ah, uh, temperature was amazing. Right. It was around 28 to 30 degrees, but it was a nice little breeze. Really nice, really nice uh, temperature <laughs> compared to England. Well, yeah. I think people would enjoy, enjoy it during their winter time. Was it humid or was it sticky or dry? No. I don't I wouldn't say it was humid, but I wouldn't say it was sticky or, or dry. Mm. I think... The air was it was the right balance between you know very wet human kind of conditions versus dry conditions. That's yeah, that's how I describe it really. So yeah. It wasn't very humid, it wasn't very dry either. Was it just right nice bit of balance? Was it jackets in the evening or, or shorts or? Well, during the daytime, most people were wearing. So you know, the locals will either be wearing their um, their local attire. Um, most people will be wearing either three quarter lengths or they'll be wearing shorts probably shorts covering the knees. Mm. Um, in the evenings, to be honest, you could either wear a jacket because you get away with not wearing one. Right. Depend, it, it was dependent on the day. Most of the time, it was a nice uh, nice temperature. You could probably go out for a walk, be more, a bit more comfortable wearing a hoodie, but otherwise it was it was fine. Yeah. Well, I know obviously there's there's talk of, of maybe clothing, um, and we'll touch on that a little bit more in a moment about maybe the do's and, and do nots. But when when you got there, what, what was sort of like your, your immediate feelings? How, how did it feel being there? So, yeah, listening to the media and everything, when going there, there was a little bit of apprehension for me. So when I initially walked into, I was initially in Qatar, firstly, because of the weather, it was immediately hot. So it was nice if I felt comfortable mm. in the actual airport. You know, security guards are very, you know, they're very strict when it comes to the uses of phones before you go through the border. So it's something to be aware of. Okay. You know, I think when myself and Malcolm, another fan leader who I met through, um, I met during my time, we'd got, we were go, we'd gone together and we'd got separated. He tried to call me on, um, in the airport, but most of the security guards immediately said, no, don't use your phone until you're out of the, wow. out of the airport. So they're very strict in terms of, in terms of their law, laws in the airport. There's any reason for that? I never really got a definitive answer, but I think they're just very sceptical of, you know, people. I think they're very sceptical of people using technology in the airport, you know, because of the reputation of terrorism and, you know, yeah. so on and so forth. But I think they don't, 
they prefer it the moment you're fruit, you're fruit. They're happy for you to use your phone. But I think whilst you're in the airport, this is back to suspicious behavior. So, you know, they, they try and be very safe for, yeah. safe for them. Immediately afterwards, so after I left the airport, I think the overall impression I got was it was, a re- it was really welcoming. Everyone was really happy to help you out. I was walk- walking through the airport trying to find where the fan ID was. And, you know, I spoke to some of the airport staff or some locals and they were just like, oh, yeah, it's this way. So you collected um, your fan ID from the airport? Yes. Okay. Yes. When it comes to the fan ID, you can collect it either in the airport or, or you can collect it at the exposition uh, centre right. um, in Doha. Hopefully in the World Cup, there's, they'll likely do more uh, collection centres for, for fans. Yeah. But right, I mean, right now, it's just at the airport. Yeah. So it was a really, really nice environment. I mean, I'd come in the evening time. Didn't see as many people, but during the daytime, the next day, you know, after meeting all the fans and her fan, other fan leaders, it was just a very welcoming uh, sort of approach to, to all of us fans. Everyone wanted us to come into like restaurants or come see us, speak to us, and get our perspective on uh, what it's like being a fan in other respective countries. It was it was pleasant. I like yeah. that. I really enjoyed that. I mean, if you've been to that part of the world before. So the only other place I've been to in the Middle East is Dubai. I mean, if I compare, I've been to Dubai prior to the pandemic. If I compare Dubai and Qatar, I would say they both have similar laws in terms of, you know, modesty and and so on. But I would say uh, people in Qatar were a lot more welcoming and a lot more friendlier. Whereas I think people in Dubai are a bit more cosmopolitan. There's still some lovely people there, but yeah. I, I got a sense of a bit more sense of community when I was in, in Qatar, and that was that was that was something I I didn't expect that at all, if I'm honest, based on what we've been hearing in the media. I was a bit, initially a bit apprehensive about whether how they would feel in terms of international fans coming in, but again, I think that for me that was one of the most surprising aspects of it all. They love their football there. They love their they love their football there. They love I mean, they're really excited about the World Cup. I've speaking to some of the fans, actually. They were saying how, you know, in terms of the World Cup, it's an opportunity for places like Qatar or another place in the Middle East to, you know, they want it to be a really good tournament. And they don't want to, I think for years, they've been associated with negative stereotypes, whether it's, you know, terrorism, whether it's um, war, whether it's, yeah. you know, you know, all these sort of negative connotations. And I think for them... And it's been difficult for them in the last 10 years, but they were saying they really want this tournament to go well. They really want people to feel welcome and actually show them that this is not, they're just very respectful people. They just want to have a good time and, excel and enjoy the World Cup with, other, with fans across across the world, you know, and have a, show the world there's a different side to the Middle East than, than that's usually given. Yeah. Okay. And that's, it's, it's going to be a, certainly an interesting World Cup from that respect, and and I'm trying to think. FIFA can't FIFA can't afford to have a uh, a World Cup that that doesn't go well. I'm trying to compare it to maybe the Olympics or something, they can't afford to have they can't afford to have an, a World Cup that compares to I think it was Atlanta in '96 or something with the the Olympics that didn't go well. But that's, that's something else. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'd be absolutely fine. You went out for the Arab Cup. Um, and you saw the the opening ceremony and, and and a game there, a game or two. Did you see? So as part of the trip, we were invited to see one game. Mm. Um, it was the opening ceremony, but between Qatar versus Bahrain. Some of the fans stayed after the trip to see more games. Right. Myself, I only saw one. Now, in terms of the opening ceremony, absolutely beautiful, <laughs> stunning ceremony. Because it was the Arab Cup, they based it on an Arab legend, you know, and they had all these really beautiful designs and, you know, you know really nice sequences. Um, they got all the fans, actually, uh, in the stadium to have little lanterns to light up during the ceremony. And right. it was really, really creative. Um, and I think what was really unique, and I've not seen this, I don't know if it's doable for other ceremonies, but... They actually got all the national anthems. They played every national anthem uh, for of each country uh, right before the match. So they started off with guitar, then they went 
Then they moved on to, I, don't know, I can't remember, I think it was Egypt and then Morocco. You know, they did it really beautiful, this, uh, really synchronized and re- flowed really the well. The full national anthem. I was going to say, if there's like if there's a dozen <laughs> nations there, it's going to take a little while. So the extended well, mix. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to... That was, no, it wasn't the full full um, nation, but it was little snippets of it. Yeah, but I remember being there. And I think it was really really a touching moment. Actually, all you could see all the local fans, whether they were from Qatar, from Egypt, you know, you could see everyone. You know, you could see them wiping their eyes. You know, really standing there with pride. I think that was that was really special. And I I remember thinking if they did that for the World Cup, oh my, like I could see that being a, a really big treat. 32 teams in the World Cup, 32 national anthems. <laughs> although, I, although I'm thinking, fast forward to 2026 when it's in the States, Canada and Mexico, there, there's 48 teams there, 48 national oh, anthems. God. <laughs> God. I don't know how they do that. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, by the by, um, what, what stadium did you go and watch this in? So we watched it in the Al Bayat uh, Stadium. Right, it, it's one of the newly uh, built uh, stadiums. I think it's the World Cup stadium. Um, it's going to be the stadium that hosts the opening ceremony for the World Cup as well. Right, um, I think it's it's about sixty thousand. It's either forty or sixty thousand thousand seats in capacity. Really beautiful stadium. It's yeah. like the architecture is amazing. There's there's funny enough in majority of the stadiums other than. The 974 and 975 stadium, uh, there's air conditioning for for uh, in the stadium. So even though it's it's hot outside, yeah. when you go into the stadium, it's quite it's uh, it, yeah, it's about 21, 22 degrees. And it's quite did you feel clean. that immediately? Did you walk in and go, wow, this is cool? And could you feel that air conditioning then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was like, like that. We're like, oh, this is this is really nice. Um, <laughs> I mean, in the in the evening, you don't feel it as much because it's cool, cool, it's getting uh, cooler. But in the, especially during the daytime. So I think we went to the Khalifa International Stadium. Uh, so this was not for a match, but this was more just to go onto the pitch side to experience. Uh, it was the national uh, Qatar's national um, national team stadium. Right. Uh, they had the aircon on there. It was really hot outside so before walking onto the pitch. Immediately, you could feel the aircon. You just felt really comfortable. Wow. Even as a player, even on the pitch as a, as a player, it feels a lot better. A lot better, even though you've got the sun shining on you. It's really impressive, actually. Okay. Um, but with the stadium, we watched the opening ceremony. I mean, it was it was um, the Albaia. It's a really nice stadium. The game itself, uh, I think Qatar won one nil. It was a bit. The first half wasn't great. I'll be honest. Like people were doing the Mexican wave uh, okay. halfway through the first half. I was like, "Come on, you can't be doing that." But uh, the fans, I would have to admit, they're um, they're more a bit more conservative compared to typical England or European European fans. That being said, you know when we were as us fan leaders were screaming and you know cheering for guitar and singing, a lot of the, a lot of the fans. Uh, local fans were actually getting involved and they were they, they they were enjoying it i think i can see some fans more two things i didn't like one in terms of the local fans one of them put his uh, finger uh, fingers in the ear when we were celebra- uh, when we were cheering okay so you're gonna get some fans that probably don't like it or aren't used to there's much noise perhaps a little bit intimidated by it possibly possibly okay i think that it might be that I'd seen that. I was, I was a bit surprised by by that, given that sort of some fans behind us were singing and yeah. jumping, other fans not so much. You know, during the game wasn't the best game, but um, you know, even though Qatar were winning, I think we'd seen some fans leaving like half an hour early, which I've, I've never seen in a football game before. That's no, not unless that you're really five nil down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I'm fortunate not to not to be at a game yeah. where that's happened. <laughs> but I was really surprised by that, actually. Right. Um, if you're going to come watch, it's the oh, first game, the Arab Cup, if you're going to watch a team, yeah. watch them. Fans left earlier earlier than uh, than expected. Um, but they're, they're more conservative, a bunch of fans. But when, when the team, when Qatar scored, there was no one sitting down. Everyone was right. cheering, celebrating. 
It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I did see uh, a few of the, the Arab Cup group games and sort of the, the stadiums were, were half empty. And I'm thinking, I mean, I'd like to think that obviously the Qatar games that involve the national, like the, the national team will be full. But I mean, we're talking at the moment, we don't know all the teams that are qualified, but I'm just hypothetically thinking perhaps if, um, I don't know, (laughs) Norway were to play Australia, would that, would that encourage a full stadium? Do you think there's going to be stadiums in the World Cup, matches in the World Cup that are played in front of maybe half empty stadiums? It's a very good question. Um, my honest opinion is that there is a risk of that. Yeah. Uh, it depends on if, like, like we spoke about earlier with the tickets, you know, it can be quite ex- can be quite expensive, and it really does depend on whether fans are able to get there or not. You're right in saying there was some, there was some, t- uh, there were, there are some games at the moment where there's not as much fans. Um, I mean, and there is some hope that fans who aren't who aren't supporting teams such as Norway or Australia, for example, you know. Teams who are outside those countries will come and see see those games. Yeah. More the locals, you know, from neighbouring countries will come and see. I think that was one of the things that helped to fill up the stadium in the Qatar versus Bahrain game. But it, there is a chance that could happen. Yeah. I think the committee are trying to improve inclusivity in terms of getting fans to come and feel like they can come. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. There is a risk of that happening. Now, just regarding the the stadiums. Well, I know all the stadiums are within there. Uh, I think is it like a forty-kilometer radius or something, mm. and and one of them or, or two of them are made of container boxes. <laughs> was this the stadium that you went to? So this wasn't the stadium I went to. Uh, I know some of the fan leaders had gone there. So the that's so the stadiums you're talking about is the nine seven four and nine seven five stadiums. Um, the uh, they're the ones that are up without aircon, so they will be a bit. Bit, bit more hot on the match days. But from my understanding, from the, speaking to the other fan leaders, it was easy to get uh, to get to the stadiums. It was nice, really good uh, infrastructure. I mean, the purpose of them is, you know, they've built these out as uh, ship containers because after the World Cup, they may not be used. Mm. It's easy. It's good to, in terms of sustainability, good to de- deconstruct them and, you know, use the space there for more more community projects are, are afterwards to yeah. more more sustainability. Um, but no, I, I didn't go to that one, but uh, I would have loved it. Yeah. No, it's certainly an interesting idea. And, and you say like the sustainability of them, you can, if they're like Lego bricks, you just put them up, knock them down again. Because, um, I, <laughs> I mean, I remember going to the 2010 World Cup in South Africa and some of the grounds there, I think, were just, they're just white elephants now. And I remember going into one, it was right in the middle of nowhere thinking this this can't be sustainable um but yeah we'll we'll find out as as due in due course i guess i was going to say well, i think what's really good about this world cup you mentioned it before you know so within a 40 kilometer radius what's really good is they're all very relatively close together easily accessible via the metro uh, so i was talking to some of the fans about this what's really good about this world cup is you can jump on the metro it's relatively quick relatively they become very regular um, and it's not that expensive. And if you've got a f- match ticket uh, and a fan ID, it's free for, uh, it's free travel for fans. Oh, okay. And you can jump from one, you can go from one station to another and it's all interlinked, similar to how the London Tube setup is. It's a big circle line, is it? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you got your circle line here, you got your central line there. <laughs> the only, the only um, stadium that's not got a metro station next to it is the stadium that i went to which is the albayat uh, stadium so how did you get there then <laughs> so we had to take a coach from our hotel to the stadium now for the actual world cup and currently for the arab cup they've got shuttle buses from other from other areas of the stadium uh, other stadiums to take you there my only sort of concern when, when i was traveling to the albayat stadium was in Qatar, I should have mentioned this before, but in Qatar, in order to travel around Qatar, you need to either, you need to either take a car everywhere. Walking from one place to another is probably a it's not no it's just not not going to work. Everything is like a half an hour to forty minute walk 
and you're no. not going to want to walk in that heat. No. Um, you know, Ubers are relatively cheap. They're really affordable. Like I think one Uber for like a 20 minute ride was like three pound for me. It oh, was proper good. Um, but what I noticed when I was, uh, when we went to the stadium and the coach was there's a lot of traffic because everyone's driving around because the locals are driving from one place to another, especially getting to the stadium. So we left to get there for about two hours earlier. But even even as we were approaching the stadium, uh, there was a lot of congestion and a lot of uh, delay. Um, though we got there in a decent time, I just remember thinking, if you're going to travel to the well, um, travel to this uh, stadium, especially closer to kickoff time, um, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of traffic and congestion. People are going to be trying to get there at the very last minute. Right. So for any fans that are that have games there, it's really important to one be aware of the shuttle buses. Two, if you're going to organise your coach, organise it for to get there a bit earlier. Uh, probably, I'd recommend an hour and a half at least earlier, just so you, you're there. You can for get your flags sorted out and just be con- conscientious of uh, the locals and their you know the fact that they're going to be trying to get there as well and it's going to be a lot of traffic congestion yeah absolutely okay that's interesting to know i've got plenty of things that i want to talk to you about um and and they are in no particular order so but but in order to get into a ground you're going to need a fan id and when we did mention that you've collected that from the airport, but coupled with that is the visa. Was it all straightforward in in getting that? In terms of the visa, they sorted the visa out for us. Mm. That being said, looking at the visa process uh, for myself, it looks relatively straightforward. You apply online. Now, the fan ID. For those that went to Russia, um, just to explain, these are the lanyards that were around your neck. It's similar to that. Yes, yes, similar to... Some of the fan IDs in, in Russia for Qatar. Now, I didn't attend Russia, so I'm not sure what it was like for fans then. But for Qatar, now, personally, I didn't have too much issues. Uh, had a bit of few hiccups here and there when applying for it. But the overall consensus when it came to applying for fan ID, the Arab Cup amongst the fan leaders was that it was it was very tedious. It was very very difficult for a lot of fans. Um, so essentially, once you've got your match ticket, you can apply for for a fan ID. You passport size photo, your COVID vaccination certificate. Um, just so everyone's aware, you know you need to have be vaccinated to go to the World Cup this year. Right. It, 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 um, they are very. They want proof of vaccination and proof of negative PCR. But going back to the fan ID, they want all this evidence, and you upload it on on the website. Personally, for me, I had issues with the format of my uh, passport photo. And one of my coll- uh, colleagues had to take a picture of my uh, of my picture on his phone because screenshot of it on an iPhone it's not a JPEG format. Okay. So he had to take it on his phone, then email it to me, save it on my phone, and then make sure that it uploaded onto the, the fan ID application. <laughs> Bit of a kerfuffle, but in the end, it, it yeah. worked. For a lot of fans that went out to Qatar, the issue was. Um, even though they'd done everything that, the, that similar to myself, one, it wasn't accepting the passport uh, photo. Two, it wasn't accepting like the match tickets at times. And three, even though they got the application sent, you have to wait for it to be approved before you can then go collect your ID. And a lot of people, when they applied for it, they said application pending, not even sent. And so as a result... It was like what match day, and none of no one had. I think half the group didn't have fan IDs, and it's like, right. how are they meant to get into the stadium? And it, it was very, it was really stressful actually because it's, it's. I think in terms of a group dynamic, a group of fans, you know, when half the fans don't have the ID sorted out, it's it can be a bit, can be a bit of affect the dynamic a little bit. I think the key there is if if you do if you are planning on going then you need to get that sorted out. I mean, it needs to be one of the very first things that you do. Exactly, exactly. That's 100%. They reassured us when we were there in our cup. Again, it was a trial run that they're gonna, that's going to be uh, brushed up, that's going to be sorted out. But, you know, for fans who are planning on going to Qatar, 100%, once you've got your ticket, just apply for the fan ID straight away. And then if you're going to collect it, collect it at the airport. Just right. get it over and done with. Because if you're going to collect it, in Qatar itself, what you end up finding is 
and this has happened to a lot of fan uh, fan leaders whilst we're out there, is if you try and collect it in Doha in one of the centres, there's going to be local fans from all across all across the Middle East uh, trying to collect their ID. You're going to be in there, you're going to be there for like a good hour or two, and it's just but save yourself a hassle. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You mentioned COVID there that everyone who's going needs to have um, to be jabbed and to have um, negative tests and that is is there a for england fans that have been to previous away games in towards the end of 2021 they had to look at overseas covid applications or whatever is there a a qatar covid app or something that needs to be looked at as well yes yes there is uh thanks for reminding me Whilst I don't know what the COVID restrictions or COVID rules will be like next year, mm. for us, uh, what we had to do is, you know, get a pre, pre-departure PCR right. sorted. But if, uh, within, uh, and this is important for fans to be aware of, within 72 hours of the arrival time in Doha, so make sure it's three days from that time you arrive in Doha, not from when you leave the UK. You have to also download an app called Etaraz. It's The app itself doesn't work in the uk it's only activated when you're in doha right. so you, you need to go onto the qatar website pre-register for the etaraz app on online and it'll give you a document saying that you've been pre-registered and approved for uh, etaraz and you need to print that off and then so when you arrive in doha you show them that document and they'll let you let you go in if you then have that so if you have that you then need to get um in order to make sure it's activated properly if you have a mobile SIM card in Qatar, the Etaraz will uh, end up activating. So you just log into the Wi-Fi. Etaraz ends up working as sort of like a COVID app, right. similar to the NHS app, where it shows evidence of, and it's a live app as well. So it shows this sort of green QR code, verifying that you know you're COVID-free. In order to maintain it, at, uh, maintain it, you need to have Wi-Fi connection, which and also in order to get around uh, Doha, it's better to get up it uh Qatar and uh, mobile so yeah you need to make sure you uh you've got the pre you pre-registered with the Etaraz app beforehand. Oh, okay. download it my advice is to download the app in the UK because the wi-fi in Doha whilst it's good just better it's just a lot it's a lot slower so right. better to just download it in the UK have it there there and ready so that when you when you get off um when you jump off the plane you can just log on and you're, you're sorted. Fair enough. Now, it's good to know. And obviously, we're talking well ahead of, of the World Cup here. So, I mean, this is how things are at the moment. Obviously, things may change. Another thing, I mean, myself, having been to previous World Cups, there, there are some key things that people want to know is obviously how much is it going to cost to get there? How much did it cost to be there? But accommodation is always one of the things like people go, where am I going to stay? Blimey, have you seen the cost of that? And that sort of thing. There, there's been a lot of things in the press I know about the accommodation in, in Qatar. I've read, I've read of cruise liners being lined up along the coast and those being used as accommodation centres. I've read of the people of Qatar have been in contact with the organisers of Glastonbury about how do you put tents up in the desert and that sort of thing. Obviously, there's there's Airbnb as well, and there's general hotels um, in in the region. What what did you find out, and what do you know about the accommodation over there? What were your experiences in terms of accommodation? Um, so when working with the committee, so that there, there's a variety of options. So like you mentioned, there is going to be some like cruise ship kind of options a bit more high market a bit more expensive all inclusive includes alcohol and you know food accommodation for the fans but it is going to be a bit expensive they are, have introduced airbnbs and they are introducing more cheaper options in terms of hotels so i think the hotel we stayed at probably cost about though we didn't pay for it probably cost about like 200 to 400 pound per night very expensive place but it was one of the top 10 hotel so we were we were treated weren't you yeah when speaking to the locals <laughs> when speaking to the locals about what um is available my impression was that there's a lot of uh, new hotels being built 
because of the limitations and sustainability of building all these hotels, they they haven't built loads of hotels, which will then end up being bankrupt afterwards mm. or going out of business afterwards. But the new hotels that are being built are very very good standard and very afford- affordable. How much the how many hotels are at affordable price? I can't tell you exactly. On top of that, they're also thinking about doing like these fan zones. So, from our impression, they wanted to create sort of like it surprised me. It talks about Glastonbury. Um, they wanted to create this sort of like festival, uh, festival kind of feel for fans, right? Where there's these little mini camps where you can buy alcohol, you can go and socialize with uh, fans um, across the globe in these uh, in these tent little areas. Um, they're setting up multiple ones there. I think it's roughly forty pound a night for them but i i don't know the exact figures i think that's what i, I was quoted uh, maybe more maybe less um one of the other fan leaders i was speaking to also informed me that there might be potential for fans to stay with actual local local uh, families oh, like uh, homestays yeah yeah nice. and i think uh, again don't quote me exactly mm. um i need to double check this in my next meeting with the committee there might be potential that that might be for free not not uh, they may not need to pay and so that is a really good option for for fans how again how readily available that is i'm not too sure but i think the committee have a link it's called the accommodation portal for fans to register their interest and you know as long as you let them know what games you're planning on going to and you know what you would like you know you uh, fans can register their interest in terms of accommodation and get email updates to when these options are available and I think the plan is to not release all the accommodation options straight away, but release it majority in batches. That's what I know so far. Well, there was a word there that you mentioned that is key to to many an England fan: alcohol. Now, <laughs> it's it, it's a ritual, obviously, of a of a match day for England fans is to get a beer or two in before the game. Obviously, it's not the ritual of of other parts of the world. Obviously, the Arab world has its own rules with regards to alcohol and, and the consumption of it, where and, and whereabouts. What did you? What do you know about about beers and, and alcohol over there? What was your experience? Um, so this probably surprised people, but I actually got drunk twice when I was right. playing guitar. So. <laughs> It is it's definitely doable. So in terms of getting alcohol, so first things first, and I know a lot of England fans are thinking this, don't bring alcohol uh, via duty-free into the country. That's not allowed. Right. Um, I think they will search your bags and take it away from you. and You just don't want that issue. No. I think in terms of the committee, they are very open to people having, uh, to drinking, and they're very open to the drinking culture in, um, in Qatar during the World Cup. Now they have very strict laws in terms of drinking, so they don't like because they're they're a country of you know uh, Islamic faith. You know they don't want essentially they don't want people drinking in public. They don't want to see people drinking. But when it comes to uh, alcohol, most hotels and bars sell it. They prefer you to drink inside or privately as opposed to just drinking uh, in the streets. So it's not going to be people. They don't be jumping with a bottle of vodka or a can of beer on the streets, if you're asking for trouble, don't do that. Don't do that Mm. at all. But if you want to, and I think this is why they designed the fan zones as well. But if you want to just have a drink with local, uh, yeah, with local fans who are are allowed to drink or just fans across the globe in like a pub, I think there was an Irish pub uh, one of the fan leaders had gone to. uh, I'd gone to one of the hotels uh, across across the road, um, we also ordered loads of um, loads of uh, Peroni on our last night uh, in the hotel. They don't really mind you drinking as long as you're just not going out and just you know getting plastered on the streets and feeling yeah. sick. And as long as as long as they don't see a bottle in your hand, you know they're pretty okay with it. They I guess in terms of the nature of, of the locals, they're quite again like I said, they're quite reserved and conservative. Um, very welcoming, but you know, if you're going to smell like beer and you're going to, you know, be slurring your words in front of them, they're not going to like it, and they you are going to get in trouble. So just moderate yourself when you're around around local areas, outside the stadiums and fan zones. 
I think it's I think it would be an ideal chance for everyone to just have a massive party. I think um when I was there for the opening game, they had like little stages for music. And a lot of the local fans who came, they were dancing and singing. And I can imagine, given especially with the fan zones, a lot of the fans will be able to do drink and dance and you know have a really good, really good time there. Okay. Uh, in terms of pricing, yeah. Um now in the hotels, it was uh, you get you is going to be a bit expensive, so it's probably about like nine to ten pound per bowl. It's not ideal, but it, it it's just it's not as uh, it's it not is easy. What it is. Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Local supermarkets when I went didn't sell any alcohol, no. um, and the stadiums didn't sell any alcohol either. I know that in the fan zones, uh, the committee told us that bottle alcohol is going to be about five to six pound per bowl. So it's not too not too expensive. I don't know if this will actually happen, but for what we've been told from as a committee is that for the stadiums for next year, it will sell beer as long as fans are sensible with it. You know, it should stay. And the committee also said that they're hopeful uh, or they're planning to have so, some supermarkets sell some beer or some alcohol uh, in time for the World Cup. Now, again, it's. I don't know whether this will go ahead or not, but this is what we were told. So there is chance for us to, uh, for fans to have <laughs> have a good uh, have a good drink, either via the supermarkets, stadiums, the safest bet is the fan zones. Yeah, or you can, or in your hotels. Every hotel has a bar that has alcohol. Might not be the most cost effective in, the, in terms of the hotels, but you know, as long as you're not getting getting really drunk and you're not becoming topless uh, on the streets. Honestly, they don't really care. To be honest, yeah. they're just you can ha- you can have a good time amongst fans. I think <laughs> on the farewell night we had, <laughs> it was it was quality. One of the Mexican fans who had been going out every every day, he'd been enjoying the nightlife. He'd he'd been staying awake till light. So we had like days from nine till nine every day. He'd be going out uh, straight afterwards and staying up till like four a.m. God knows how he did it. But on the last night, he just ordered us all bottles of Peroni. And they just bring it to us, uh, buckets of ice with all this uh, beer in it. They had a, they were only licensed to serve us until 1am. But we could order it 24 hours to our room. So all we did was just go into one room. And they just kept ordering beers and beers and beers. And we just had a, had a nice little party in our hotel room. No and you know, as long as you're like that, mm. they don't care. They don't care at all. They just don't want to see it. Essentially, no, they just don't no. want to see it in public. Oh, okay. So you mentioned the the Mexican fan who's who's gone out and found other things to do during the evening and away from the football. I mean, what what was your experiences of nightlife and and things to do um, away from the football? Yeah. So nightlife. I had only gone out once with the Mexican fan. I probably didn't pick the best day. So their weekend is Friday and Saturday. I'd gone out on the Saturday night. And I think most most of the locals wanted to go, basically just we were getting ready for work the next day. So the Radisson Hotel is where I went to. And I imagine if it was a lot busier, it was literally like a club, if I'm honest, like a, quite a nice club kind of format, quite big. Um, if there was people there, I would have been really good. That's my only, like, my only proper night uh, nightlife in term, uh, experience. But from what I heard from the Mexico fan, you know, Firstly, if you know where to go in terms of good good places, it's you can have a really good time in guitar. <laughs> in terms of outside of football, now I'd only seen a select few stuff in Dar, but there is a there is quite a, a good amount of stuff to do. You can go on a boat tour, go and see the national the national museum of Doha, which is one of the coolest museums I've ever been to. Yeah. There's also the local markets, you know that local markets uh, that you can go to probably pick up some souvenirs. I was recommended by one of the locals. I can't remember the name of the market, but it's 20 minutes outside of Doha. Um, if you really want to do a nice cultural experience and really soak it all in, go to that market where, you know, it's right next to a beach. It's, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot more live performances going on. That sounded really, really nice. I didn't go on myself, but I was told, recommended that. There's also public beaches, that you can go to um as public and family beaches family is more conservative 
less revealing in terms of mm. in terms of uh, you know, beach attire. So that's where you probably shouldn't walk it walk there with topless with, uh, with short shorts or speedos. Yeah. For public beaches, they're like yeah, it's for public. So you do what you be topless. You can go take your shorts off. Well, you can wear your speedos. Yeah. I mean, in terms of that, cuisine was really good. You know, our, our yeah. <laughs> Arabian food is, is, is lovely. But apart from that, there wasn't much else, if I'm honest, much, there wasn't much else that I recall that we, that we did other than the football-related stuff. Okay. That. Yeah. There was, I mean, we'd had a previous conversation prior to recording this, um, and there, something that you mentioned was the ticketing for the games, and this is just referring to the Arab Cup. All with all the stadiums being within this, like, 40 kilometer radius or whatever it is obviously england fans are sort of because of our nature we like to see different games and we're like wow i'm gonna get to a game at midday i'm gonna try and aim for that stadium the next one along the, the circle line and then after that i'm gonna go to the next one and then the next one and in theory it's like wow yeah we can get to see a lot of games in one day you can almost like say right okay i'm going out for this trip to qatar we're gonna see the england game have a day's sightseeing and then on the next day we're going to do a a marathon of seeing as many games as we can in a day that with regards to tickets may not be as straightforward as as possible no it's not one of the fans actually asked me this question how many tick how many games maximum games can we buy for the tournament in terms of how much you can buy uh, the maximum games that i'm not entirely sure but i'm currently waiting for an answer from the committee for but in terms of buying tickets uh, whilst you're there, you're not allowed to buy consecutive tickets. Uh, so you can't buy one. So you can't, let's say you can't buy a ticket. You can buy a ticket for the 1 p.m. game, yeah. but you can't buy uh, the the ticket for the next game, so at four, 4 o'clock. But you can buy on the same day, you can buy the 7 p.m. game. If you wanted to attend all the games, you'd need two, you'd need two fan IDs in order to do it, right. where one person is buying the ticket for for his group, then the other person is buying tickets for the um, the next game for the uh, for his group. So, for example, for me, you went. I'm buying the one pm and the seven pm tickets for I don't know a group of eight of us. You can buy maximum eight tickets per game, whereas you're buying the four pm and the ten pm right. tickets, and that runs over the next day as well. So, if there's not a ten pm game. You'll probably be buying the one PM tickets. Okay. It's I'm not entirely sure why why they've uh, done it like that. I'm not sure if it's been the same for other tournaments, but you know, I I suspect you know they just want to ensure that most fans can go see can go see the games. Yeah, I suspect um, is because I mean, say Russia, you couldn't get from St Petersburg to Moscow within the same day to to watch games on the same day I wouldn't have thought um yeah perhaps it is just to maybe give that sort of flexibility to everyone uh, I don't know there was one thing that you did also mention from your experiences was the was the stewarding with regards to games what was your experience there uh, so where do I begin <laughs> so <laughs> the stewarding um I think there was one thing I was worried about in terms of Qatar. It was it was the stewarding. Mm. Essentially, when we went to when we went to go watch the game, you know, again I was very fortunate. I was able to go through. I was wearing my England top. I was wearing an England hat that they gave us. I was fortunate in, in the fact that I was able to walk into the stadium. But I know a lot of the fan leaders had issues for multiple reasons. One being you know fan ID issues not being organised properly not registering properly. Another reason being, you know, some fans were wearing their country's shirt. So I think it was one of them was a Colombia fan wearing his national team shirt. And other fans were bringing like, I think a French uh, fan had brought his French flag. And though we were reassured um, by the committee that, you know, this was all totally fine and that this was communicated to the uh, management team, there was a bit of miscommunication from the management team all the way down to the steward level. And so the stewards then didn't let the, many of my colleagues or the other fan leaders who were wearing these jerseys or bringing these flags in who were um, into the stadium saying that, you know, you're not allowed to come in wearing other countries, you know, jerseys or flags. 
you know, we don't want any political issues or anything like that. And it was a bit, it was a bit odd. And I think, you know, like I said earlier, we got there about two hours uh, early, but, you know, I think majority of us, I mean, good 80% of us had only got into the stadium about like 15 minutes before kickoff really? it, or before the ceremony. It was, it was ridiculous. Like, mm. And I think the committee themselves were really frustrated because they were having to deal with this on the first day. Uh, one fan in particular, um, one of the Mexican fans, bless her, at one point, so she was trying to scan a ticket to go, go in. Now, I don't know the full details, but from my understanding, she scanned a ticket but the steward didn't let her let her in for some reason. Might have been because she was wearing her Mexican top. And then because she scanned it, she tried to scan the ticket again. But because it's always been scanned, she couldn't, the barriers wouldn't open. And so she was stuck there. And I think we were, I think I was with uh, the Mexican cohort whilst we were waiting there. And it was like, what, what's going on? Like, you know, she's got the ticket. She's mm. uh, a fan ID is fine. Like, you know, what's the problem? And that was a big concern for me, I think. Now, I probably shouldn't mention this earlier. So, you know, in terms of actually traveling to Qatar, you know, you know, we were singing, we are dancing, having a great time on the tube. It was fine. There were times, there was one incident, not incident, but when we were singing and stuff, I think, though I wasn't involved, I think one of the police officers did ask us to stay quiet. Wasn't able to stop us. It was fine. But um, in line with what I'm saying, I think one thing I was worried about was just are the local like like local stewards? I, I wonder if they're prepared for the magnitude of you know how much of a party and you know how much uh, you know fans from across the globe. Because the Arab Cup is one thing, you know, local yeah. fans they're, they're very uh, people from uh, Egypt and uh, Iran, so on and so forth. They're they're very passionate fans and very loud, but they they're not. There wasn't as many fans as there will be in the World Cup, and I wonder whether they're they're ready for that kind of magnitude. I think another issue that I had with the stewarding and I think the committee are trying to get this implicated, but in the same that we went to, there wasn't clear directions in terms of what gates we needed to go to. When speaking to the stewards, bear in mind, you know, this is their first tournament, so they don't know the layout as well. Yeah. So, you know, go and give them better, better doubt. When we asked them what gate we needed to go to or where we need to go for this, for example, gate 18, well, they sent me to the other side of the stadium, but I went to gate six. I was like, well, this is not. Mm. So I had to then walk around the stadium again whilst in the stadium just to go to where I actually need to be. Hopefully that'll be ironed out. I think the the committee are trying to, you know, obviously this was a test run, so they're looking to improve that. But that's something for fans to be aware of, if I'm honest. Um, It is going to be all fun and games, but just my my biggest advice is limit yourself in terms of getting into any trouble. Don't be afraid to wear your, bring your flags and bring your, Shows it should be sorted out, but just be, yeah, just be conscious that they may not be as you know prepared as uh, other stewards in other other tournaments or in Euro- in European countries. Yeah. Okay. Now, one thing that um, obviously has been mentioned in the media for the past however long is the is the human rights, the women's rights, the the LGBTQ side of things i appreciate that you were only there for a a small period of time and and what you can and maybe can't say but what what was your experience of that i'll be i'll be honest um i can't give um, the most accurate and balanced answer because i was only there for five days yeah as we said but my experience was you know very welcoming very welcoming country I didn't feel unsafe at all. I felt quite safe, if I'm honest. I was aware that as long as I respected their their laws and respected their culture, what they expect from people uh, in the public. So, you know, as long as you're not topless, as long as you're wearing a shirt that covers your shoulders, as long as you're wearing shorts or, uh, that cover your knees, you know, you're not wearing anything too revealing. You know, in that aspect, I was really, I felt really comfortable. Now, in terms of the human rights aspect of it all, now, from what I saw, and this is only based on observation, yeah. it didn't really look like uh, people were over, being overworked and people seemed happy. That being said, I need to be telling construction workers, but from people who are working in, in the city and from the areas that we went to, it didn't seem like they overworked. They didn't look tired. They just, you know, they were just getting on with their normal, normal everyday lives. That being said, I've not lived in Qatar, so I wouldn't be able to 
So it might be a completely different perception if you're living there. Yeah. From actually going to Qatar, I didn't see any violation of human rights. But again, I can't give a, a fair and balanced answer to that. Now, there has been a lot of talk about the LGBTQ uh, community whilst they're there. And speaking to the locals and speaking to uh, the committee now, like we mentioned earlier, they want to try and change the perception of Qatar. And they are very welcoming and they do want people people from, from the LGBTQ community to come. But I can 100% understand why people from that community would not want to feel, feel comfortable. Now, I, again, I'm a, a heterosexual man, so I, you know, my perception is going to be completely different to theirs. But I felt safe. I, but I knew that when speaking to the locals and the committee, when it comes to public space of affection, it's illegal for but whether you're straight or gay to have any for any form of it. You know, if I was to hug a person or hold hands, you know, kiss my, my girlfriend, that you know, that's just not on. That's not allowed. You will get into trouble for that. And they might it might be a bit harsher for uh, for people from the LGBTQ community. Again, I can't neither confirm nor deny that. Yeah, I would say it's safe to go to guitar but i would understand why especially given all the media coverage and when you do research online like i think i looked at the um the uk government website and i think it said homosexuality is illegal you know i think it's more displays of affection which is considered taboo so you shouldn't <laughs> you shouldn't do that even whether you're straight or from the lgbtq community i know one of the fan leaders wore a shirt which had a rainbow design on there from speaking to him and uh, from being around with her, around him at the time, there was no issues with that. Okay. But essentially, I would say it's very, it's very safe. But I also kind of understand why people would feel a bit uncomfortable, given what they've heard, given what was said. I would reassure them that it's, it, it's safe, but there are going to be people who don't feel comfortable with the fact that they can't fully express themselves, they can't fully do what they can. And in that regard, if, you, if that makes you feel uncomfortable and that makes you, that doesn't, you don't agree with that, then by all means, you know, don't don't jeopardize your own values and your own security for just because uh, Qatar. Yeah. Um, they are welcoming, they are friendly, they do, they do want people from all walks of life to come. Either ultimately, it depends on depends on the individual. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. No, that's that's good to know. Um, and and the main the main thing is regards to to everything that we've spoken about there, be it. The accommodation, be it tickets, obviously the the COVID situation and and the alcohol, is do your own research, do it early and that sort of thing, um, because I'm, I'm, there's a there's a phrase there, something about being prepared or something. I don't know. Be a Boy Scout. Be prepared. Exactly. I was going to say, in terms of the reports for the human rights stuff, so the, this is what they were telling telling us. Um, there's this. There's this famous figure of 6,500 migrant workers that have died, you know, and this has been over the last 10 years. And I think they were telling us that, firstly, the the information that that was given in terms of 6,500 workers in the last 10 years, it's not uh, solely based on the construction of the, uh, of the World Cup stadiums. It's not. Uh, I think they found that they only found three people who had actually died based on the construction of the World Cup stadiums. It's just a general figure that's been branded around and stigmatized towards the World Cup, and right. people think it, that's associated with the World Cup. It's actually just just migrant workers in the last ten years. They could have died, well, they could have been doctors, lawyers, they could have been retail workers, so on right. and so forth. So it's not just construction workers. That that figure is not just construction workers. It's it's, it's all migrant workers. It's pe- it could be people from India, from someone like myself going and working in Qatar and living there for a bit. And, sadly passing away it's right. i mean there's a lot of frustration in regards to people in qatar in that regard they're whilst i'm not saying it's perfect they and they know this then they know the treatment of the construction workers is not perfect and they're doing a, from what they've told us they're doing a lot of work to try and change that perception and try and bring the proper infrastructure in there it's not just unique to qatar in terms of you know in terms of the treatment of construction workers but it is um, something that they're actively trying to improve on, and they have made some change in the last 10 years. And they hope to continue that post-World Cup. I was just going to say, always do your own research, look, in, look into it. But from what they've told us and from what I've heard from the locals, they have made strides. You know, The Qatar of 10 years ago is different to Qatar of now. 
and they are you know they are honestly trying to educate uh, educate everyone around them you know to create a more welcoming environment whether that is in terms of human rights the lgbtq community that that's the insight i can give but again yeah. you're in research and you know if you're what you feel comfortable with you know go go with that gain your own knowledge in a situation and see what you can find yeah no absolutely aj it's been really wonderful to speak to you let's finish on a uh, on a positive note i mean you've given us plenty of positives throughout the whole throughout the whole conversation england going there england fans going there you yourself likely to be to be going back out there can we win this do you know what? I, I think we can. Honestly, yeah. I can see us winning, winning this <laughs> I think we've got a really good chance. We've got a good young young team. We can play a bit defensive, but I think that would be that would be to our advantage. Yeah, I can see us winning this. Good stuff. Well, the draw's going to be April time, so we look forward to that. And and yeah, let's let's catch up again, maybe throughout the year. If, if you've been to any more uh, meetings or you're here of any other things uh, it's, it's going to be it's going to be invaluable to England fans that are, are planning to to go out to Qatar for this World Cup are you on social media are you open to uh, to people maybe just saying hello to you and, and yeah, passing I'm on information on. Um, if anyone wants to get in contact with me um, <laughs> my social media is uh, at Arjibargy A-R-J-G-Y B-A-R-G-Y uh, or just type in my name Arjivara. you'll find me I'm more active on my Instagram than I am on my Twitter. I have both the uh, same social media name. But um, yes, I'm more than happy to answer uh, answer any questions that any England fans have. And yeah, more than happy to help. So feel free to give me a follow or just drop me a message. I'll get back to you. As I say, it's been great to, uh, great to speak to you. And, and thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me.